Before he knew he wanted to build a company, Jerry knew he wanted to make people's lives better. Born in Monterrey, Jerry Collier left Mexico to attend Yale University, then went on to pursue a degree at Stanford Business School. His initial game plan was to work in public service, but he soon stumbled upon the realization that technology was the key to drive change at scale. Eager to learn, he relocated to Silicon Valley and co-founded Uva Scooters shortly after. After exiting, he returned to Latin America to put his skills he'd picked up to good use. And thus, Clada was born in the heart of Mexico City. Clada's corporate credit card and spend management solution made them the fastest startup in LATAM to reach unicorn status, getting to a $1 billion valuation in eight short months. Backed by the likes of Monashis and Co2, they partnered with MasterCard to support entrepreneurship in the region. Join Jerry and I as we talk about going from zero to a thousand B2B customers in eight months, Latin America expansion strategies, and the importance of partnerships in disrupting fintech. My name is Brian Reckworth, and this is Latitude Podcast. Vamos Latam! Jerry, it's great to have you on. I'm actually happen to be wearing a Stanford uh, a shirt here, and I think that probably speaks to you, given that you spent some time at GSB. Before that, you were an underachiever at Yale. Walk me through your journey so far And how did it impact relationships when you were fundraising? Yeah, well, Brian, great to be here. You know, any, any day speaking with my good friend, Brian's a good day. Uh, and you're right. I mean, I, I guess I do have some of those uh, names in, in my CV. Uh, but I, what I would say is that, you know, actually, like early in my story, there's really you know, not a lot that suggested that I would have those kinds of opportunities uh, open to me. So, Uh, I grew up in, in Monterrey, the city in northern Mexico, close to the Texas border. Uh, and when I was born, uh, my parents were still living with my grandmother. Uh, and I guess after some time she got tired and she was like, fine, like, you know, uh, the garden space here, like you can build a house there. And it wasn't like even like officially subdivided. And so uh, my parents got to it and, you know, they built that first house Uh, room by room. And, and some of my earliest memories are uh, of kind of like that construction side, the construction process, uh, you know, first like the hole in the ground, the, the foundation, uh, the first rooms, and then the, the second floor with a couple of bedrooms, uh, my parents, and then the bedroom where uh, that my sister and I shared were, when we were young. Um, and, you know, by the time that I came of, of school age, uh, you know, My parents were, were small business owners and, you know, little by little, they were starting to to do better. Uh, but it was you know, really hard for them to, to to send me to a good school. And, you know, by their telling of the story, you know, there was like very, uh, you know, anxiety ridden times, you know, even like like tears to, like just to like figure out how are they going to make uh, ends meet uh, to send me to, I mean, a really great school that, that, that I went to uh, growing up in Monterrey. Uh, but, you know, I like really benefited from that kind of sacrifice to, to put me in, uh, in in a certain trajectory, I suppose. And, you know, what did I do with that trajectory uh, or with that opportunity, I should say? Uh, I, you know, I've tried to do since then, you know, everything that I can. You know, I uh, I would call myself a scholarship kid. You know, I graduated top of my class in middle school, got a full ride in high school, uh, top of my class in high school, and I had a full ride to Tec de Monterrey, Uh, one of the best universities in Mexico. Uh, but when I looked around at like, you know, what was the next step for me, what I wanted to do with my life, uh, it wasn't interesting enough for me. It wasn't enough for me to say, like, hey, I'm just going to like, you know, 
have uh, a career that's going to lead me to have, you know, a stable job or, uh, you know, a small business and, and just take care of myself and, and people, you know, close to me. Uh, but rather, you know, what can I do to make uh, this society around me uh, better off? And when you're in Mexico and you're in Latam, I mean, it's, it's very easy to see just how much uh, inequality of opportunity there is. You know, my parents were maybe struggling at the kitchen table trying to figure out how to send me to a good school. But there are families, you know, all across the region that are struggling for even the basic necessities, right? And that's something that you, uh, like, can't not see when you're here uh, every day. Uh, and also this disparity of development or, or you know, economic uh, progress that, that uh, it's very striking when you grow up, uh, you know, near the Mexico-U.S. border because there is this uh, this line, uh, sometimes even imaginary, but that has very real effects. And you can see that the different results, you know, uh, on one side of the line and the other. Uh, and so something that always motivated me growing up is this question of, you know, what can I do about it? And so uh, I set out to uh, the U.S., to, to Yale in particular, for undergrad. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how the audience thinks of, of that university, but for me, it was this place that has this like public service, uh, you know, uh, uh, ethos to it, right? And uh, I, I guess, like, long, long story short, there is that you know, I ended up discovering that if you want to do something like political economy, uh, perhaps you you end up having to be uh, a lot more political than uh, economical, and uh, maybe that wasn't so interesting to me. And instead, you know, perhaps by coincidence, there wasn't much of a, you know, startup scene or uh, tech scene when I was doing uh, my undergrad, but but it was sort of emerging. And there was this group called the Yale Entrepreneurial uh, Institute. Uh, it had been started by Nick Shalik, uh, who's now an investor at Ribbit. Uh, and then, uh, you know, a couple of years uh, younger folks that, that I became friends with, uh, like Brad Hargreaves, Matt Reimer, who then started uh, General Assembly and kind of kicked off the... Uh, or, or help catalyze the, the New York uh, startup ecosystem. Uh, you know, became involved with them, helped, you know, we, we worked on a company together actually when we were still in school. And for me, this was, you know, eye-opening that you could actually you know, dream up something and dream this future that you wanted to build and bring it to the present. Uh, and there was an eco ecosystem to make it happen, right? That you could get together with other people who felt a similar passion, you know, pull a team together. And there were investors who believed uh, and advisors who, who who wanted to help you uh, turn that into reality, and, and I guess you know, ever since I've I've turned my life and turned my career over to having that kind of impact that that was driving me to you know study uh, economics, philosophy, uh, but actually have it through technology, uh, and that's how I ended up at at the GSB and spending some time in in the Valley eventually as well. You know, it seems, I mean, you've got this entrepreneurial spirit that seems kind of be, to be oozing out of you. And then your sister's also an entrepreneur and your husband's also an entrepreneur. Like, where does this DNA come from? And everyone around you is is kind of an entrepreneur. How does that happen? And and also, how does that work? I guess it, more in your relationship, I'm curious, like you're both kind of like the power, power couple here. You've got top investors here, top investors here, super successful. Um, how do you separate your, your life from your your businesses because that's uh, that's got to be pretty intense. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really fun. It can be really intense, and I guess there's a lot of you know uh, what's it called like uh, quarterbacking, uh, you know, board member. Uh, yeah, I think you know, especially with like Nico, 
Nico and I, uh, we love to give each other input on, you know, everything from like grand strategic plans to, you know, how a, a particular conversation went. Uh, and sometimes, uh, sometimes it can get uh, a bit too much. So we also make sure to like kind of set time aside, but we, uh, very much not talk about anything work related or, you know, go off somewhere for the weekend. Uh, but it is, uh, it is interesting. And, and most of the time it's quite fun. And, and I think, you know, it actually helps me be a, a a better leader to be surrounded by by other you know great leaders who, who, who uh you know i think also share share a passion for for you know bringing something valuable into the world and bringing people together around it yeah absolutely i mean that's it's it's kind of the who the people you surround yourself with that you become a sum of of those people and you you, know, you have the opportunity to learn from them but let's talk about just the going back to the you know you, you finished with stanford in your last your academic uh, career I mean, you must have noticed that in that process, you know, we talk about signal a lot, right? There's different signals working at scaling Uber across LATAM. Investors see that as a signal. There's different signals that exist. Obviously, Stanford is is a pretty strong signal. Talk a little bit more about kind of how these, you know, this academic prestigious institutions, when you talk to investors, how are you able to leverage that? And then also, Share a little bit more about how you would think about this if you didn't go to these institutions, because this is something that I suffered with in the beginning. There's self-doubt. And at the end of the day, it comes down to what you do. And so I'd love to hear your perspective on how that was beneficial to you. And then maybe thinking about it from the other perspective of how would you build signal if you were an early stage entrepreneur? Yeah, no, and I I totally get what you mean. And yeah, uh, in my case, you know, it's not like I was choosing where to go to school because I thought, you know, some years down the line, it was going to be some kind of signal. And it's more, you know, this is, this seems like the best way to learn the most, learn the fastest. Um, you know, I really admired some folks who had gone to, uh, to, to DSB and saw some things they were doing in Latam. And so I, you know, sought that experience for myself, but, I like absolutely agree with you that there are many different paths to success and, and that's something that, you know, we need to highlight. And, you know, as proof that this is something that I actually very much uh, believe, you know, I, I'll talk about my co-founder, uh, Diego, who, uh, you know, has taken on a pretty different path. You know, actually, if we talk about schooling, Diego didn't finish university. And, you know, instead, he just really became enamored by, you know, working with computers, working on software. And, you know, he's been working in in, in, in tech before. We were even talking about startups in LATAM, you know, odd jobs with uh, a government or uh, internet service providers, uh, you know, Moving up to, he uh, he started the first hacker space in Mexico uh, and then spent a few years with his uh, previous startup, Bridgefy, which created this mesh network. So uh, cell phones, mobile phones could communicate with each other without a central network, which is the stuff that like uh, the Silicon Valley TV show folks were doing, right? It's like that level of technology. And he was doing it like, you know, as a Mexican, as a Latin American founder, uh, tech that was used like all over the world, including in like uh, pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong and Myanmar. Uh, and, you know, he, he took on a very different path, uh, you could say, than, than I did to, to get to this point where we, you know, meet each other and, you know, we share this passion for creating something great uh, through technology. Uh, and I feel super fortunate to have him as a partner. I actually, you know, sought him out. I knew I wanted to work with him uh, before the, the idea for Clara fully solidified. And it was actually his shared excitement for it that I think made, made it made it very clear for me that this is what we needed to bring into the world. Um, so, you know, success can come from, you know, 
many different uh, in many different yeah it can come from many you know, it, it can follow many different paths uh, right success can follow many different paths and uh, I'll, I'll say you know about these schools like you know, I'm grateful for them you know they've been generous to me they've been good to me uh, but I think that uh, one really exciting thing is that you see that the floor like the access to great uh, resources is uh, you know way different now than it was before. You know, you can think about, you know, like this uh, intro CS course that they teach at Harvard or Yale or CS50. That's available to anyone in the world now, right? Like you can hear the exact th same things from the same professors, uh, go through the same exercises even, uh, all the way to, uh, you know, you have the you know platforms where you know, people are teaching each other how to code or how to get different kinds of skills and, you know, elevating uh, everyone's level through innovations like this, I, I think is, is fantastic. And I think, you know, uh, we'll see, uh, that these, these educational signals will mean less and less over time, uh, because you have, you know, so many ways to access kind of the best in class, uh, knowledge and experience. And, and that's a good thing, I think, overall. When you think about hiring, what kind of lens do you look at hiring? Is it more about what you've done and, do you think that everything is evolving so fast and changing so fast where it's you really can put on display or what you've executed in the past, which is maybe a better predictor of whether you're going to be a good asset to a company? How do you think about that when you recruit and when you bring people on uh, to expand? Because I know I looked at your guys' job uh, openings the other day and I'm like, wow, they got they got a lot. Of, they're hiring a lot. Um, so talk, talk a little bit more about philosophically how you think about that when you're bringing people on the team as you expand. We think about aptitude first uh, over skills, uh, and we think about also fit within Clara and the culture that we're creating. Uh, actually, before we, you know, wrote the first line of code for for Clara as a product, we uh, encoded you know, six virtues, six values that you know, are still very important to us to, today. You know, we hire against them. We, uh, you know, do performance reviews, promotions against them. We have rituals. Uh, to support those those values, and you know, we very much look for those things uh, first. Uh, it really is only when you get to you know more specialized roles or senior roles uh, where we think that you do need to combine those aptitudes and obviously the cultural fit with certain experience. Uh, but for the most part, we are evaluating against the first two, right? So like aptitude, ability to grow, adapt in a you know. Uh, fast-paced environment and uh, alignment with the values and, you know, being motivated for, you know, similar things that, than I think we are. How do you transition from like many generalists into specialized roles inside a company? At, at what point and Clada did you start? Because when you're in the beginning, you're just like figuring out a bunch of stuff. You've got, you know, 15 people around, you're kind of building the products, you're, you're talking to users. At what point did you feel like, oh, now we have to have a lot more clarity of focus per individual role? When did that transition happen? Yeah, we have we have a pretty senior uh, like people team, and there's you know more I suppose complex answer about you know some matrix that, that we're using. Uh, but I would say like overall, you know, we still very much believe in uh, aptitude as the you know main thing that we're hiring for uh, rather than skills. But that doesn't mean that we're not as a team specializing and having you know ownership over you know, discrete pieces of, uh, of of the puzzle of the pie. Um, and, and, you know, this idea of ownership is we think of it as like a professional sports team, right? Like you, everyone has their role to play, uh, but also, you know, if we need to score a goal at the last minute, like goalie's going to go to the other side, uh, of, of the, uh, of the field. Right. So, uh, you know, 
even though we, we hire for aptitudes, going back to that idea, we, we still have folks with uh, kind of discrete ownership over the, over the you know, bigger problem or biggest things that we're solving. So Jerry, Clara, it's not your first company. You built the first daily deals company in Mexico in 2010 and social mobile app that was acquired in 2015. So as a repeat founder, what would you say is different about the journey this time? So I would especially contrast that experience uh, over the 10 years ago at this point. I uh, started my first company in LATAM 2010. You could probably relate uh, to that time period pretty well. And, uh, you know, we were early to our space. Uh, we were able to get some funding. It was like, you know, 500 startups in Startup Chile, like first generation, you know, traveling all the way down there for like 40K US and, you know, some folks in the US. Uh, smaller checks and just kind of like putting something together. But ultimately, you know, it didn't matter how big our dreams were. Uh, it was still, you know, a, a struggle to kind of just fight and survive another day. Uh, and so when at some point I realized that, you know, I wasn't having that scale, uh, that impact, that scale that I, I wanted to. Uh, and I saw, you know, I met some folks or like uh, Julia Vasconcelos, who I uh, was doing Pesce Urbano, which is a similar company in Brazil. Uh, I realized that some of them or many of them had spent time working in Silicon Valley. And so that's what I ultimately decided to do for myself, you know, sold the company and spent this kind of mid part of my career now five, six years in uh, the Bay Area, you know, very much just you know, wanting to learn as much as I could, you know, learn from, from the best in a way, build, uh, and eventually come back. And now uh, it's just very exciting to be an entrepreneur after, uh, you know, that evolution and seeing that I think, you know, a lot of the ingredients are in place uh, in a way that I think we've been seeing a, a slow burn over those past 10 years, but has really accelerated in a very exciting way uh, more recently. And, and it's the ingredients of, you know, having folks uh, who have, you know, gone up the ranks at other startups or who have worked, uh, you know, at companies uh, abroad and then come back uh, or uh, just, you know, the talent pool as a second big element there. The, the fact that, you know, we can hire from, uh, you know, other great startups that, that, that you know, have had great success or, uh, you know, the best professionals at professional services firms like McKinsey, BCG, Bain, uh, you know, banks. Uh, who are are joining us, and and even actually uh, some of the the you know individuals who have had the most success in uh, you know I guess traditional or, or, or legacy businesses, and who realize that you know actually they they'd rather uh, dedicate their 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 time and apply their skills to uh, a startup in the context of you know being able to uh, bring something innovative and, and and kind of bring more value uh, faster. And you know it's very exciting that you have all of those kinds of folks joining startups. Uh, and the last piece, obviously, uh, investors, right? Which I think are are mostly reacting to to those two and just the huge opportunity and undercapitalization that there has been in the region. And so uh, it's a it's an amazing time to be uh, building in Latam. Much different than 2010. I, I, I can assure you that and agree 100%. Now, you've worked uh, also in a growth role, which you, you're the chief growth officer at, at Green Scooters Grow Mobility uh, before starting Clada. That was a company that expanded geographically at a torrid pace. And, and right now, Clada is entering a new market. Talk about some of the challenges of expanding across borders. I think every company has to find uh, their right balance. Uh, that's something that we very much uh, have sought to do at Clara, you know, thinking from first principles. And for us, one of those principles is just always building on 
uh, very solid foundations. And so uh, one of the things that we were able to do at Clara is that, you know, actually since we raised our, our first funding, you know, even you know, well before launch, uh, we were able to spend these nine months uh, before that launch uh, just building the core of the company from the core team. You know, a lot of us had worked together before actually at Go Mobility and we, we chose to work with each other again uh, and uh, the product itself and the infrastructure. Uh, and so having this, you know, uh, banking core where we have uh, kind of all of the important pieces on our end and being able to operate a card product on our own principal member license, which is something that, for example, the uh, you know, US card uh, uh, startups are, are not able to do uh, at this point. You know, it's something that uh, has to do with kind of the regulatory environment, but also just like that investment in, in, in infrastructure. Uh, you know, something that we were able to do early on and, you know, the way that we continue thinking about Clara is like always building that next level of, uh, you know, what we think is a tower will be a towering skyscraper, building it on, you know, solid foundations. Uh, and as a result, you know, as we turn to, you know, this kind of higher growth, hyper growth stage, you know, we do it with the confidence that, you know, we are standing on, 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 on solid uh, footing. Uh, and I think that's something that we, you know, very much took away from uh, that previous experience where we definitely had uh, a lot of growth, we, you know, expanded to many countries quickly, uh, but we were not doing it, I, I, I would say, uh, in, in kind of that uh, first principles, you know, building on solid foundation, like planning ahead uh, way that characterizes Clara. Yeah, I mean, the, the value of, of having been part of that journey is you just you get to learn from those experiences, right? Where expanded a breakneck pace, you, you're able to take away tons of lessons there. I mean, we always say that, you know, you learn from your mistakes, obviously, and speed is very important, but those lessons are, are critical. What's the biggest lesson that you took away from, from that experience, um, you know, if you were to boil it down to kind of one, one basic uh, idea? Uh Perhaps there's two. There's one that's the obvious one that actually inspired Clara, which is being able to combine agility with financial clarity to the company's name and good, uh, you know, management of the company's resources. Uh, and secondly, and very importantly, going back to, you know, how we hire is, uh, you know, you have to hire in the right way. You have to hire the, the, the right people. And, you know, I, I Speaking of like building on solid a solid foundation, uh, if you don't have uh, you know the people processes, uh, the culture in, in place, and like really focus on that intentionally, uh, sooner or later, like those cracks begin to show. And you know, it's something that we you know we saw a lot of the trappings of like hyper growth without paying attention to to some of these things. And so we've sought, uh, like you said, you know, you have to learn from every experience, and we've sought uh, a new balance for ourselves. And, and you know, so far it seems to be working well for us. You started in Mexico and you've recently expanded in Brazil. Talk a little bit more about the decision making kind of framework you make, you know, you have when you decide which market to enter next. Yeah. So the early inspiration for Clara was actually uh, us, you know, as executives, as entrepreneurs, uh, wanting Clara to exist. And we saw, you know, having been in Mexico and in Brazil and in Colombia and across the region, uh, that this was an opportunity. There was a need uh, really across the, the you know, in, entire region, across all of LATAM. Uh, and so, you know, we intentionally built Clara from the earliest days uh, to be able to do something that is pretty unique, which is uh, launch a local card product uh, in each country that we expand to, but be able to do that 
you know, in a much faster way than has been done before. So uh, pretty soon, like we'll have the same uh, footprint, for example, that a new bank has, and we'll have done it in a much shorter time frame. Uh, and today, we're the only corporate card uh, co- company uh, of any kind, you know, legacy or startup, uh, that can offer you a corporate card product the same day. Uh, you know, a local card in Mexico and a local card in Brazil. If you're a company, say a startup or uh, you know any of the global enterprises that have operations across uh, the two most important economies in in the region and. Uh, you know, that's that's something that we've been able to do kind of as a result of the decisions that we took from the very earliest days as well. How does it differ in Brazil and Mexico? I, I was in Brazil for a long time, built my business there, and, and there's it has its unique intricacies. I never built a business in Mexico as a, as a focal point. Talk a little bit more about the adoption patterns between these two countries uh, based on your experience so far. Yeah, so what we're seeing, and it's not surprising, is that actually our early growth in Brazil uh, is far outpacing what we saw early days in Mexico, like substantially. Um, and you know, it would seem that Brazil is perhaps at least a couple of years ahead in terms of adoption and digital payments and mobile technology, e-commerce, uh, and I think you know the numbers generally uh, bear that out. Uh, but overall, in terms of, you know, who are the early customers and kind of what comes after, uh, we're seeing a pretty similar pattern. Uh, so a lot of our early customers are uh, other startups. Uh, you know, we're plugged into uh, that community uh, in Brazil. You know, we have, uh, I think, uh, the best uh, communities, uh, uh, you know, behind us from uh, Canary, uh, from the early stage investors to Monashis and Kasek. Uh, I think the the two giants in in, in VC and the region, uh, and so you know a lot of our early customers come from those communities. Uh, but uh, what has been you know a very pleasant surprise is just you know how quickly uh, we've moved on from the, that kind of initial audience, where you know over eighty percent of our customers now are you know, like medium sized enterprises. Uh, and even like some of the larger corporates, uh, you know, we have like a couple of airlines, a couple of banks, even in Mexico, that are customers and we're increasingly seeing that same behavior in Brazil. So, uh, you know, I think it just speaks to to the need that there has been in the market for somebody to really focus, you know, on building a solution from the ground up for companies here, like not as an afterthought, not as, you know, some uh, global campaign, but actually, you know, uh, thinking, you know, if we're building this solution uh, for companies in the region, you know, how, how would we do that to help them as much as possible? And there was only a, a five-month gap between your Series A and your Series B. I, I assume that maybe you were just opportunistic. Talk a little bit more about the thought process of raising more capital. You've raised quite a bit of money so far. Uh, walk us through that that process. Yeah, so some of it is also uh, learning from previous experience uh, where, you know, this previous company, uh, it seemed like we were having a near-death experience every couple of months. Uh, you know, I think kind of spending cash well, 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 you know, faster perhaps than uh, that would be more prudent. And so, uh, you know, just, just, you know, wanting to not be in that kind of position, you know, we're, you know, uh, 
I would say like that's that's def- definitely one you know one of the things that that, that we think about. Uh, but you know, more generally, it, it is about having the best partners, uh, you know, on the table on our side. And you know, if uh, someone approaches us with a, an interesting offer, and it's someone that we really see ourselves working with over the next ten years uh, plus, then you know we will certainly consider it. And for our, our last round, for example, uh, the folks at GoTo's, like Michael Gilroy, uh, I was in Sao Paulo and like he flew down, I think he was in New York at the time and we got dinner and, you know, when somebody does, you know, that kind of gesture, you're like, you know, they're serious, they're serious about you, about the business, about being a partner. Uh, and so uh, that's kind of how that, that, you know, Series B came together, you know, just a few months after the the Series A and uh, you know, we're we're lucky to have some some great partners uh, already. Uh, uh, you know, as part of uh, you know the cap table, and and you know there will be well, more opportunities uh, coming up for sure. With all these disruptive fintech companies, depend on partners like Mastercard. I think is your partner, um, and you know there, it's it's necessary due to the financial nature or the nature of the financial infrastructure. What's the advice you have for founders trying to land those type of partnerships? Yeah, so a lot of innovation in our space, I think, requires collaboration with what we might call legacy players. Uh, and we do have a very partnerships-oriented uh, approach at, at Clara. Uh, you know, even though sometimes it can be, uh, you know, interesting or frustrating that, uh, you know, the rest of the world doesn't necessarily move at, at the speed that that we'd like to and that we'd like to, uh, you know, serve our customers. Um you know the, these these partnerships, uh, you know, are critical. And uh, you know, speaking about that Mastercard or or you know card scheme partnership, uh, especially, uh, you know, the card schemes are, uh, you know, I think a key part of any uh, solution that aims to uh, help a company manage all their corporate spend in one place because they are this product that has this amazing capillarity, right? So you can pay in so many merchants, two hundred ten plus countries around the world, uh, just with this. Uh, card and so you know having that as part of our mix and having a product that works great and is optimized for each country where we operate uh, is 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 critical and so uh, you know I think those those uh, legacy players want to see that you're you're building in a robust way so uh, I think some of what I mentioned of you know making sure that we're hiring uh, you know uh, the best people and the right folks and building you know on solid foundations our our, our product our you know, controls uh, are, are all things that they 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 want to see, and uh, you know, I think all of that is ultimately uh, well aligned with wanting to build something that is going to you know leave leave a legacy and it's going to have an impact for uh, not just years but but decades to come. And so, if you're building for the long term, like you know, those things, even if it feels like they might slow you down a bit, like they shouldn't actually uh, hurt because uh, you know it's it's uh, it's part of building, you know, for the for the long term. You guys have now gained thousands of customers. Uh, I think you're approaching close to three thousand customers now. Um, what's the acquisition strategy been like? What's been the most effective way of onboarding customers and attracting people to your product? Yeah, so we've been fortunate. That, you know, we've we've seen this tremendous growth uh, out of the gate. Uh, you know, so much so that you know we've even had to. 
uh, you know, focus, making sure that we're you know, serving the, the customers that are coming in, uh, you know, the best way possible. And so as an example in Brazil, like we only work with uh, Pejotas uh, and not Maze. And so uh, typically we're seeing, you know, a more like medium sized customer as, as our typical uh, company, you know, whether they're a startup or SMB medium enterprise. Um, and you know, in, in terms of like what works for us for for growth, I mean, I think we we do a lot of the things that you might imagine, but we end up coming back a lot to this concept of trust. And I think it's it's an idea that's especially important in uh, kind of an emerging market or lat time context too, where uh, you know. Uh, People go by personal relationships uh, a lot, and so you know every uh, channel that we add, you know any any new thing that we're doing, uh, we find ourselves coming back to this idea over and over again. So how do we create, uh, a, you know, a great experience from the first contact that we have with a customer? So like not putting someone uh, like very junior or doing some kind of like mass communication in front of uh, a customer, but actually having someone, uh, you know, do a very thoughtful approach. Uh, or, uh, you know, having our customers recommend us, you know, among their networks, uh, you know, having this partnerships oriented approach, uh, really a lot of those things are kind of at the core of how we think about growing. And then, you know, there's a lot of kind of icing on the cake and things that we add on and kind of accelerate the growth engine. Uh, but if I were to describe like one thing that we come back to it, it is this uh, concept of trust. Yeah, it's a powerful uh, mechanism to to grow in a low, particularly in a low trust environment when you can provide that that trust for for folks. Your 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 monetization strategy is to charge interchange fees per credit card transaction instead of just charging customers. Explain a bit about the rationale behind that. So charging uh, interchange fees per credit card transaction, well, which is actually something that happens automatically right through the payment system, uh, it makes for a really beautiful initial uh, revenue model, business model, because it uh, kind of aligns incentives very neatly between ourselves and our customers, right? So we're able to offer uh, Clara for free to our customers. You know, they can even generate as many cards as they need. They can be virtual, it can be physical uh, cards, and we have uh, you know different kinds of cards. We have a special card for XX as well. Um, and, you know, the fact that we... Basically, I don't make money unless a customer uses a card means that we, you know, are actually able to focus every day on, on thinking uh, about whether or not we're actually solving a pain for our customer, right? Like, do they prefer to use, uh, you know, our payment solution over another? Uh, and coming back to that question and finding ways in which we can sustainably find that the answer is yes, it just makes for a very neatly aligned uh, business model. Uh, and another great thing about it too is that it, it's very, you know, it helps us have this, you know, low uh, friction for for growth. Um, you know, one of the challenges with charging for SaaS and, you know, when I was in San Francisco, some of the work that I did was a lot around like tracking SaaS adoption is, uh, you know, it, one of the challenges for SaaS is that there, I think there's, there's, systematically an underinvestment in software at companies and you know even more so in LATAM relative perhaps to, to the US. So if you have to have that as your business model, uh, you're probably uh, you know facing more friction than than, uh, than you would ideally. And so uh, this interchange revenue model uh, it actually ends up becoming you know like a meter SaaS uh, in in the sense that like it's not something you have to charge for uh, up front, uh, but you 
you know, you make money automatically just to the degree that, that your customer uh, is using the product. And so uh, as an initial revenue model, uh, it's, it's, it's very neat. Uh, it's, it's also, you know, enough at scale to uh, sustain operations, uh, though, you know, of course, we, we do think beyond that, and, you know, what are the other ways that we can add value to our customers and, you know, other opportunities for, for monetization, but, uh, you know, always going back to that idea of like, how can that revenue model be, you know, as aligned as possible with our customers' interests? Yeah, it's funny. I, I I only realized this a couple of years ago when a friend of mine, I was out having dinner and I think it was in Colombia or something. And he was, they used to ask, do you want to get charged in dollars or in pesos? And I, I you know, I'm an American. I was like, oh, just charge me in dollars. But uh, my understanding is that when you get charged in the local currency, it's way better because then your bank is the one that does the conversion. And I recently was at a ATM the other day and I got the receipt and I was just like, I couldn't believe that I was charged uh, a whopping like whatever it was like nine percent or something or something crazy plus an additional fee. So it's great that these are things that you just don't know if you don't look under the hood about things and how they operate. And so um, it's great that you're able to provide the service that enables people to you know have better rates and better service attached to it. And it gets back to the importance of building locally for each country, right? So that you are uh, you know always charged in uh, your local currency and you don't have all of these you know, uh, hidden costs or, uh, you know, an inferior product experience because the, the cards don't work uh, or, you know, you might have tax issues, et cetera. So it's really important ultimately, uh, you know, for us that we're building, you know, uh, optimizing for what companies here uh, need uh, that, you know, we're Latin American and, you know, motivated to help uh, Latin American companies, our customers individually and uh, love thinking about the impact that this can have uh, systemically. And that's what motivates us every day. Uh, and so, uh, you know, hopefully it's something that, that our customers uh, continue to see. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast and also for being a supporter of Latitude. And thank you for letting me be on the journey as an angel investor as well. Fun to see the evolution, how fast you've grown. And, you know, I think that this is, I need to get Nico on. It, it would be the second couple that I've had on because I had, uh, Sebastian uh, from Seppelin, and then I had Antonia from AllVP. Um, but I need to get Nico on here to talk about Kasai and, and his experience scaling that business. So maybe we'll have that in, a, in an upcoming episode. But uh, thanks for being a supporter of Latitude. He was part of the Angel Cohort uh, you know, pilot program, and you're in Cohort 1. And so it's great to see the collaboration, and uh, hopefully we can do more stuff together in Brazil and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. And Sebastian and Antonia are, are fantastic. We yeah, look forward to hearing Nico's episode sometime soon. Awesome. Th thanks so much, Jerry. Thanks, my friend. Thank you for listening to the Latitude Podcast with Jerry Collier, CEO and co-founder of Clada. Be sure to check out Latitude.com to find out how to apply to our fellowship program and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts for more talks with great founders and investors like him. I'm your host, Brian Reckworth. Vamos Latam. See you next week.